Hello, my Rebels. Today, I take you through the big news of last night, Jason Kenney resigning as the Premier of Alberta, although there's an asterisk there. He hasn't actually resigned yet. He just said he will maybe sometime in the future. Uh, but we'll go over how it happened, how the hero of the Conservative uh, Party of Canada became its most hated member. That's quite a story. Um, before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's a video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe, eight bucks a month. My show every day in video form, plus four other podcasts a week in video form. You're getting 36 video shows a, a month for eight bucks, plus the money helps keep us free. By free, I mean politically independent because we don't take a dime from Trudeau. That's all at rebelnewsplus.com. Here's the podcast. Tonight, Jason Kenney squeaks through a leadership review, but announces he's resigning anyways. We'll give you the latest. It's May 19th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I think one of the reasons why billionaires get so weird, Bill Gates being a super gross example, is that they are surrounded by flatterers, people who only want to tell them good news. <laughs> it's why Bill Gates kept visiting Jeffrey Epstein, the child sex trafficker, long after Epstein was convicted. I don't think anyone around Bill Gates had the courage or the independence to tell Gates that what he was doing was deeply wrong, morally wrong, and most likely criminal. The only person near Gates who had the power or independence to speak up to him was his wife. And of course, she couldn't convince him to stop meeting the child rapist, so she divorced him over it. You know, it was also widely reported that Bill had a, a friendship or a business or some kind of contact with Jeffrey Epstein and that you were not uh, that that was very upsetting to you. Did that play a role in the in the divorce at all in this process? Yeah, as I said, it's not one thing. It was many things. But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you made that clear to him? I made that clear to him. I also met Jeffrey Epstein exactly one time. Did you? Yes, because I wanted to see who this man was. And... Um, I regretted it from the second I stepped in the door. He was abhorrent. He was evil personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards. So, you know, my heart breaks for these young women because that's how I felt. And here I'm an older woman. My God, I feel terrible for those young women. It's awful. You felt that the moment you walked in. I didn't he realize was awful. that. Yeah. And you shared that with Bill and he still continued to spend time with him? Any of the questions remaining about what Bill's relationship there was. Those are for Bill to answer. Okay. But I made it very clear how I felt about him. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was afraid of Bill Gates, afraid of what he'd do if you told him something he didn't want to hear. I mean, put aside his well-rehearsed all-shucks routine, his total lack of human emotion tells us he's probably a sociopath who has a God complex and will do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants. Is there a lesson 
for you, for anyone else looking looking at this? Well, he's dead. So, uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of what we've done in philanthropy, very proud of the work of the foundation. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I get up every day and focus on. Well, he's dead now. I'm surprised he didn't do a little fake laugh there. Uh, I think Elon Musk seeks out people who challenge him and debate him. At least it seems that way, talking about billionaires. I can't imagine, for example, Bill Gates going on Joe Rogan's podcast for three unscripted hours. No way. There's no escape. There's just answering questions with no panic button. Musk did it. He loved it, I think. Some other billionaires do that sort of thing, too. Uh, I love the job interview question that the Silicon Valley billionaire and libertarian Peter Thiel uses. Uh, we sometimes use that job interview question here, too. You know the one. I think the other core tenet of the book is really what do you believe that is true that nobody else believes to be true, I guess. Is that the right way to say it? Yes. Yes. So it's always it's always the combination of contrarian and true. You know, people always characterize me as contrarian. I think that's that's misleading. You know, one plus one equals three. That's a contrarian belief. It's not interesting, untrue, won't get you anywhere. Right. So it's always important for it to be something unconventional, no one's thought of, but that also uh, has, you know, either is, is intellectually true or has some merit to it in the business context. Now, Bill Gates is a good investor, I suppose, but really he had one success in life, Microsoft, which engaged in monopolistic behavior to shut out its rivals. I'm not sure if Gates has had another success since then, but when you're sitting on $100 billion, you really don't need a second act and you certainly don't need to have to listen to anyone else. I think that's a difference between Gates and Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and some others who are clearly engaged in ongoing intellectual battles. They're not just coasting. I think that's what it's like for billionaires. Think of them as the center of a bullseye. And there are rings of people trying to get to them, but it's hard. Everyone wants to get to them. You have to have a connection. You have to be vetted. You have to make it through a bodyguard of schedulers and assistants and actual bodyguards. And once you finally do, you're so grateful for the moment in the sun with them that you want to get them to agree with you, which is why you sort of agree with them. Um, which, when you think about it, is analogous to being a powerful politician. It's not about money then, but about political power. But you're surrounded by flatterers, Everyone wants your favor. Everyone wants your time. Everyone is a flatterer because they want something from you. And the difference is that politicians, by definition, can have their power taken away by rival politicians in a thunderclap moment, an election. You can have two billionaires in the same city, but you can't have two mayors in the same city. So politicians can make coalitions and alliances, but at the end of the day, I bet the average politician is a bit more paranoid and more suspicious of people than the average rich guy. Just speculating here. I mean, when you think about it, there's a finite amount of power. If you gain power, someone else loses it. Money is not that way. Both people in a relationship can get rich. And all this is my long-winded way, my attempt to understand 
What the heck happened to Jason Kenney? Who short years ago left Parliament, where he had been a star cabinet minister under Stephen Harper, where Kenney had been, in fact, and in perception, a strong conservative in most things, except his open borders immigration, actually where he had at least a respect for populist conservatism, where he certainly expressed support for religious freedom, the skepticism of big government. And in the early months of the pandemic as premier, that was his approach. And, and it must have been hard. The entire world and certainly the entire public health deep state, all the media, all the so-called public health officers, the United Nations, World Health Organization, everything, everyone, all saying mask laws and lockdowns and bans on gatherings and closed the schools and closed churches and closed playgrounds, none of which had ever been tried before, none of which had been proven in an experiment to be useful, none of which could pass any sort of civil liberties test. And he held out for a while, but then when he finally collapsed, he went more abusive than almost anyone else in Canada. I'll never forget when he issued anti-gathering orders and he had special punitive sections for churches, including funerals, where churches had lower gathering limits than liquor stores or Costco's. Churches were singled out. And as he abandoned any pretense of caring about civil liberties or even science, his language started to track the attack language of Justin Trudeau and Theresa Tam. He started denouncing small business people who wanted to stay open. He started denouncing churches and pastors who not only wanted to exercise their freedom of religion and freedom of association, freedom of assembly, but were critical to helping congregants who had mental stress and anxiety and depression and worse because of the lockdowns. Jason Kenney became so abusive and punitive, it truly was that old dark joke, the beatings will continue until the morale improves. But that's my point about no one being able to tell the emperor that he has no clothes, that he was naked. People missed, sorry, people mislead billionaires. People mislead dictators for the same reason. There is no one tasked with opposing them and embarrassing them and causing them to rethink things. The old king said jesters for that purpose. What, who did Jason Kenney have? He started to believe what he heard. He started to believe what he said. Ralph Klein called that dome syndrome for the dome of the legislature. Preston Manning called that being auto-washed. There were things that happened that if they had happened under the leadership of Justin Trudeau or Rachel Notley as premier, Jason Kenney would have known they were wrong and would have said so. Police brutality against kids on an outdoor skating rink. Police invading a church during church services that's insane. Please get out. Get out of this property. Immediately get out. Okay. Get out of this property okay. immediately. Out. I don't want to hear anything. Out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out. Out of this property immediately until you come back with a warrant. Out. 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 Out of this property, immediately out. Police raiding a diner in a small Alberta town and throwing the businessman in prison. Like the pigs in that book, Animal Farm, it soon became hard to tell the difference between the old regime and the new regime. 
that boozy party up in the Sky Palace while the little people down below were banned from gathering, banned from going to restaurants, banned. Seriously, if you are the premier who is ordering an entire church be seized, blockaded, and turned into a police outpost, you just might have lost the plot or lost your mind, but certainly lost your principles. If churchmen aren't your thing, um, they were truckers. All of them peaceful, but denounced by Kenny in language Trudeau used. Kenny didn't just insult the truckers like Trudeau. He lied about them, so much so that the anti-trucker RCMP actually felt they had to correct the record for Kenny's lies. Uh, I've also received reports uh, in the last hour of people uh, allied with the protesters assaulting RCMP officers. Unfortunately, it was a relatively minor collision, um, but a confrontation which led to an assault took place as a direct result of that collision. And that was an assault on an RCMP officer? No, that was an assault between the two, two, two civilians, between a protester and a civilian. So Jason Kenney's statement was not true at, at the press release? I can tell you what I just told you. Kenny started calling his own citizens, his own party members, extremists. Premier Jason Kenney says he won't apologize for his comments in a leaked recording, calling members of his political party lunatics. With a vote coming soon on his own leadership, Kenny says the UCP is under siege by extremist elements seeking a hostile takeover. Kenny said he was done with conservatives. He wanted to keep the party, but change the members. He wanted a new party base. Well... I guess now he's got the chance, doesn't he? It really feels like something Marie Antoinette would say. Your Highness, the citizens are revolting. They most certainly are. <laughs> the worst to me, of course, was the targeting of Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. Again and again, endless arrests on trumped-up charges, more than 50 days in prison. Exactly the kind of stuff Kenny railed against when he was a federal cabinet minister. And he was talking about China. We put up a lot of billboards about that in Alberta. Thousands of people were deeply concerned. You know, I had a phone call last year from a very senior conservative, I won't say who, you'd know the name immediately, who said, Ezra, you and Rebel News have to stop criticizing Jason Kenney. You're going to lose the election for him. You're going to hand the province back to the NDP. We must stop that. I saw her point a bit. We were covering issues that most of the media weren't. The legacy media hated those Christian pastors. If they covered their arrests at all, their prosecutions at all, it was to cheer on the government. Most of the media in Alberta was pressing Kenny from the left. And what do they care? If they could get Kenny to attack Christians and lock down skeptics, that's a win-win-win for them. The media activists on the left punished Christians and locked down skeptics, but Kenny paid the political price for it. It was not like that that would win over. NDP voters to Kenny. He had both sides of the spectrum hating him. He knew he was in trouble, but like I say, he never knew the true extent. He had too many flatterers around him, I think. Uh, his rival from the last leadership race, Brian Jean, ran in a by-election uh, expressly to get rid of Kenny. Kenny was sure that his own loyalist candidate could beat Brian Jean in the nomination. <laughs> no chance. Uh, and even yesterday, Kenny was sure he would crush the party's revolt against him. He certainly seemed to rig the rules to it, switching in the last minute from in-person voting to mail-in voting, which he thought could game the system. Well, 
I guess he did in the way. 51% is a win. And in the end, though, he knew it wasn't enough. While, fi while 51% of the vote passes the constitutional threshold of a majority, it clearly is not adequate support to continue on as leader. And that is why tonight I have informed the president of the party of my intention to step down as leader of the United Conservative Party. I'm sorry, but friends, I truly believe that we need to move forward united. We need to put the past behind us. And our members, a large number of our members, have asked for an opportunity to clear the air through a leadership election. And I've recommended, therefore, uh, that uh, the provincial board schedule a leadership election in a timely fashion. Did you see the faces on Sheila and Adam when Kenny said he was resigning? Well, he's not actually gone yet, is he? Still premier, still leader of the party, and I don't know if he's formally ruled out running again, but I think, like Andrew Shear and Aaron O'Toole, Kenny will be shoved out of the way if he doesn't go quickly and quietly enough. Already people are popping up saying they want the job Daniel Smith wants back in, Brian Jean, obviously. I hope it's a good rollicking leadership campaign with clear ideological contrasts, just like the federal Conservative Party leadership is turning into. It's important that a strong leader be chosen one without poisonous baggage. It was Kenny that was hated, not the UCP party brand. Rachel Notley really did stand a chance with Kenny at the helm, but put someone normal and conservative and less arrogant and more freedom-oriented in that leadership chair, and the NDP will probably be relegated back to their historical place on the fringe. I'm excited by it. In the same way I was excited when the truckers caused the Conservative Party to give Aaron O'Toole the heave-ho, and... In a way, the truckers did here, too. The truckers and the pastors. I mentioned that Kenny uh, hadn't been, uh, if he hadn't been a punitive bully towards businesses and churches, if, the, if he had been calmer, if he had been a lighter touch, more like Ron DeSantis, or forget about that, just stopped picking on people, stopped insulting people, conservative businesses or conservative churches, if he just hadn't jailed people, and prosecuted them so punitively and insulted them, if he had just shut up, really, and had a lighter touch, I think yesterday he would have had at least 10% more in the polls. How could he not have? At least 10% of the Conservative Party cares about freedom, especially religious freedom, at least 10%, especially Jason Kenney fans who thought he was a friend of Christians. But he just couldn't help himself in the end. I don't know why. And now he's gone, and I think that's karma. And to my old conservative friend who called me up begging me to stop reporting on what we reported, I would say, the party can fix itself now before the election, and so can the province, and that will keep the NDP out of power. Not Rebel News lying about the great disappointment that was Jason Kenney's Alberta career. <laughs> Stay with us for more about some great undercover journalism by our friends at Project Veritas. Well, when Elon Musk announced his intention to take over the social media platform Twitter, well, you didn't think it would happen easily, would you? Because it is not actually a business. It is a censorship machine where the entire world's political conversation is put through filters, political filters. Who wouldn't want to control that? Elon Musk has been debating with Twitter over... For example, how many of its users are actually robots? 
He's debating with them over freedom. It's quite something to watch the world's richest man debate with the company it's looking to take over in real time. Well, while Elon Musk was working on his business proposal, Project Veritas was sending undercover reporters to meet with Twitter executives undercover to see what they would say when they weren't on their best behavior. Were Elon Musk's accusations of political bias and censorship, were they valid? Joining us now to talk about it is Mario Balaban, the media relations manager for Project Veritas. Mario, thanks so much for joining us. You guys must be so busy. These are amazing videos. Uh, just tell us for one minute, we haven't had Project Veritas on recently. Tell me a little bit about your style of reporting. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on, first of all, Ezra. Um, as, as you're familiar with Project Veritas, we're an undercover journalist organization. Uh, we rely most, our journalism relies upon mostly, as you noted, uh, undercover journalists approaching people in power, in this case, Twitter, uh, and obtaining the truth from them when they otherwise would not admit to the public. Uh, a lot of them will give you an official company line statement if you ask them for comment, uh, you know, as a reporter for an outlet. But if they don't think they're talking to a journalist, they're willing to admit things that otherwise they wouldn't. So we rely up our journalism is basically founded upon that, as well as whistleblowers who come to us with documents or uh, internal things when they, you know, see wrongdoing within their, within their own company. Uh, they'll come to Project Veritas as well to blow the whistle and get the truth out that way as well. Just an outstanding team, the courage and the sangfroid, if I can use the word, just staying cool in those moments. It really is. I mean, we've all watched TV movies about undercover cops and how stressful it must be to know that you're meeting with the bad guy, so to speak. In this case, you're not necessarily calling them the bad guy, but they are people of public interest. And to hear the difference between what they say and what they do is quite something. I, I salute your team. Without further ado, let's go to the two videos you've released. Why don't you set up the first one for us a little bit and then we'll watch it. Tell us what we're about to see. Yeah, so this is a, a Twitter engineer, a senior engineer, Ciro uh, Morigason. He was recorded here admitting that the company, his colleagues are commie as F. They don't believe in free speech and Elon does believe in free speech. He even admits that he thinks Elon probably wants to do what's best for the company. But he actually wants to make a profit there. And, and the interesting thing is, Ciro admits that he only works four hours a week. Think about uh, someone who admits he worked four hours a week and Elon's tweeting about work ethic. Yeah. And this guy's talking about like, oh, yeah, we're uh, we're all about uh, mental health here, actually. Uh, the profit, the profit thing, you know, it's like that comes after. It's incredible. We should, you, yeah. you know what I tell you, if I was working four hours a week, I would call that vacation. But I don't think it would be good for my mental health because I like to work. It's quite exactly. something enough uh, preamble. Let's look at the video. Just incredible undercover vid from Project Veritas. Take a look. Twitter does not work. Capitalists, if we weren't really operating with capitalists more, we were very socialist, like we're all like communist. Ideologically, uh, it does not make sense, like because we're actually censoring the right, not the left. Because everyone on the right wing will be like, bro, it's okay to say, just gotta tolerate it. Uh, the left will be like, no, I'm not gonna tolerate it. I need a censor. Or else I'm not gonna be in the So it does sound right. I don't know if the two parties can truly coexist on one platform. What do your colleagues say about it? Like, they hate it. 
oh my god, I'm at least like okay with it. But some of my colleagues are like super left, 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 left. What uh, do they say? They're, they're like, this will be my last day if it happens. So. Has much changed since like Elon's coming out? A lot of change. A lot has changed. We're all like worried for our job. Why are you guys so worried? You know, job is like he's like I still work for Twitter and begin with that. I think it's just like the environment, like you you're there, you make all like this. You don't know. We did all we could to like revolt against it. A lot of employees revolted against it, but at the end of the day, board of directors have a say, and then they acted on their best interest because they didn't want to get sued. I basically went and worked like four hours a week last quarter. That's just how it, how it works mm -hmm. for a company. Yeah, how would you describe communism besides Twitter? Essentially, like, everyone gets to do whatever they want. No one really cares about, like, optics, uh, like, capitalism, yeah, yeah, care about numbers, or care about the business, but Twitter is like, render homes, everything, like, if you're not feeling it, you can take a few days off. People take a month off, they come back, but you always, like, do your best at any time. And that's culture, and, you know, we'll run the business as much as possible. Capitalists would be, like, Oh my God, months off just because you weren't feeling it. Just months off. Unbelievable. I, you know what? I think he was speaking the truth there and he was making backhanded compliments to Elon Musk. And I don't know. I, I believe every word of what that guy said. I think that absolutely is what's going on inside Twitter. I mean, it, it seems to me he's very genuine there. Uh, he was, you know, he was speaking with knowledge. He's been there for years, by the way. He's not a new employee. He's a senior engineer. He's probably making good money to be working only four hours a week. Uh, it's, it's, it's shocking. I mean, he touched upon all these different subjects, censorship and the bias, the free speech aspect, the internal revolt against Elon Musk, uh, the political ideology inside Twitter, and then the work ethic inside twitter it's unbelievable i mean what else could we what other information could this guy give us i think he told us everything yeah <laughs> you know and i wouldn't even say he sounds like a bad guy i mean he says i came here and they sort of turned me into a commie everyone and like it was like he was describing his um you, you know how he was absorbed into the political culture there i don't even think he's a bad guy i i think he's a a guy who thought he was going to work in a free speech oriented social media company and realized he was sort of more going into a commune uh, and a spa. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, if he is complaining about how left others are, it's got to be shocking. This next one, though, this next video is a work of art. It's a work of journalism. It's a work of uh, obvious planning to get this guy. But at the end, when he talks about Project Veritas, it, the layers of irony, uh, I'm, I'm surprised the internet didn't break. Give us one minute to set this up and then we'll watch this absolute masterpiece of the video. Yeah, so this is Alex Martinez here, a senior executive in the ads sales team at Twitter. He also, you know, was recorded undercover by one of our journalists. And he also talks about Elon Musk, the free speech issue. He thinks that Twitter should be the arbiter of truth. They know better for you. You don't know good, what's good for you. The Twitter does. They know better for you. Um, he also makes fun of Elon Musk's Asperger's and talks about that mockingly, uh, speaks about free speech issues, the profitability issue, 
and Twitter saying that they're not profitable because of ideology. Hmm. Uh, it is, it is, and as you noted, he uh, showed our journalist an internal email at Twitter warning Twitter employees to be cautious of Project Veritas journalists. And he showed that email to our journalists. So it couldn't, it couldn't get any better than that. This is probably the single funnest video I've seen in 2022. Here, take a look. Well, right now we don't make profit, so it's going to say ideology, which is what's led us to not being profitable. The rest of us who have been here believe in something that's good for the planet and not just to give people free speech. Because again, like these people really do believe in what we're doing. These are the policies we put in place for misinformation or mislabeling media or whatever. Yeah. Why do you think this should be taken down? Yeah. Like those are the questions they're gonna ask him. Yeah. 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 Um, it's gonna be hard for him to be like, oh, because people should make their own decision. It's like, no, but people don't know how to make a rational decision if you don't put out correct things that are supposed to be out in the public. As an advertiser, as my business is what I do every day and why I go out is like, we want it to be as fair and transparent and accurate as possible. Yeah. And if that means there there's a level of censorship to make it correct, quote unquote, again, and what does correct mean? I guess like, it just kind of goes into <laughs> yeah. the idea of like, well, what is correct? If we're implementing all these rules that there's, and Elon wants to dismantle them, then technically our ideology has led us to not making money because we're not making money. And Elon wants to turn it the other way so that we can make money. There's a statement they need all 7,000 people to say. And so they can't like tell us the like, the real truth. He has Asperger's. Yes. Yeah, I know that. So he's special. Your special needs. You're literally special needs. So I can't even take what you're saying seriously. Targeting of tweets. Wait, 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 wait. You can read it. Let me see. And how to protect yourself. Groups like Project Veritas are active right now. Is that? It's like some group that's trying to just out the employees. Like they're trying to go on dates with them like this and record them and then go sell it to the New York Times and say this is what the Twitter employee is saying. This is what's really happening. This is what they're telling us to not do. You're lucky that you met me organically because I would be questioning everything about you. Oh my God, those last 30 seconds. Incredible. I mean, I, I, I tell you, I salute your trade craft that uh, your reporter managed to meet him organically uh, <laughs> in, in a way that, that he, oh, just the deliciousness there. But the serious part of that, and there are a lot, but the idea that there's a correct idea that some bureaucrat, that that guy knows there's a correct idea and an incorrect idea, and he will be like this bureau of disinformation, and he will be the sole arbiter of truth, and he will make the decision for 300 million Twitter users that's the most important takeaway for me there. No, I completely agree. It's, it's horrible. And the, the way that he says it, it's also the confidence that they have that they do know better. It's not that they're really having a debate with themselves. Like, should I be doing this? I want to do this. It's no, no, no. I have to do this. This is yeah. what I have to do. And uh, if you don't like it, it's because you're the problem. Yeah. You know, for a guy to be reading a Twitter security member saying memo saying don't go on a date with Project Veritas, 
while he's on a date with Project Veritas. And I loved how your reporter said Project Veritas or something just to, what's that? Project Veritas? Oh my God. Like I say, to stay cool under pressure like that without, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to play poker against any of your undercover reporters. Let me put it that way. I, I wouldn't be able to read them. They'd be able to bluff through anything. Well, let me ask you, this is just amazing work and the timing is perfect. I know you guys don't give things away until you're ready, but is there more in this vein that we can so, look forward to? So last night, uh, James was actually at a comedy club. We live streamed that. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, James was at a comedy club in New York City to talk about exactly what happened with this whole Twitter situation. And, and this guy, Alex, who you just saw, he uh james went out to ask him questions uh after this whole situation and it, we put out the video last night and james ran it through the comedy club of how alex sprinted away from him trying to hide from him in the street in these different places it's actually you should watch that video too and today we're still putting out a conversation between siru the first guy you watched and our journalist once he found out that he was being recorded uh, and he also does not react in uh, the most pleased way, if you can oh put it Oh, my God. Well, you've and so has that one come out yet or it's coming out later today? So Alex's video went out last night. You can see that on uh, our YouTube channel, Project Veritas YouTube channel. Uh, it's on Twitter and Instagram as well. And we're putting out the second one with Ciro here today. Unbelievable. I am on the edge of my seat. I seriously, you couldn't write this stuff. If you wrote this in a screenplay, uh, the movie studio would say it's too on the nose. It's over the top. No one would believe it. It's just unbelievable. Well, Mario, congratulations. Please pass on our best regards to your team, including James O'Keefe, your founder, who just does great work. And I can hardly wait to watch uh, your next videos drop. So thanks for making time for us today. Thank you, as it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Right on. There you have it. Mario Balaban, Media Relations Manager for Project Veritas, or as they sometimes say, Project Veritas. Stay with us. More ahead. Boy, I love those guys at Project Veritas. Eh? I mean, could you keep a straight face if you were on a date with someone, but you were actually on an undercover reporter and they said, oh, I have to be careful for undercover reporters going on dates with me. Look at this warning from corporate security. I don't know how you could keep a straight face. I mean, I like I said, I wouldn't want to play poker with those guys. I mean, I love some of those undercover cop movies. I mean, there's just some amazing ones, the drama, the stress, but those guys at Project Veritas do a great job. What do you think about Jason Kenney? I'm glad he's gone because I think he was not who he used to be. He used to be for freedom and for conservative values and small government, especially religious freedom. He wasn't those things these past two years. And I think his haughtiness and arrogance came through. I'm just so sad about that. I used to be good chums with him. But I think the party has a fresh start. And I think that that's the best way, not to try and cover up what Kenny was doing as a senior conservative asked me to do. I refused, obviously. But I think to actually get someone good in that chair. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And I'll leave you there. And until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.